Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, joined today by my good friend, Mario Fraioli, the multiple time guest on the program. Mario is one of the most respected voices in the global running ecosystem. He is one of my personal idols as a media operator and as a podcaster, and he's also a passionate athlete and coach. If you're listening to this, you probably already know that Mario is the author of the Morning Shakeout newsletter and the host of the podcast with the same name, some of the best content and commentary in the sport across road, track, and trail. Mario and I recorded an episode about this time last year where we discussed our respective careers as people trying to make a living in the sport. So here we are back again doing it uh, another time. I'm hoping this will maybe become an annual tradition. We recorded this at my house last week in person. It was the first in-person episode I've done in a long time, and I have to say... I hope to do a lot more of these in the future. We start the conversation talking about Mario's race at the New Balance Grand Prix, racing and finishing second in the Masters event in the mile, where he ran a silly fast four minutes and 30 seconds. We then transition to talk about the morning shakeout, career stuff. We talk about some burnout Mario has experienced specifically with his podcast, where he has pressed pause and put the show on hold for a bit. We talk about interacting with creative energy. We talk about being a solo creator versus working in an organization. We talk about the emotional investment of coaching, who Mario admires, what he's learned from running, and a lot more. Mario is such a good person. Glad to call him a friend, and I hope you all enjoy the episode. As always, a big thank you to Speedland, our presenting sponsor and the supporter of everything that we do here at Free Trail, the boutique startup trail equipment brand from Portland, Oregon, started by my good friends Dave Dombrow and Kevin Fallon, two footwear industry titans who wanted to bring a new vision and innovation to the trail category. Speedland are the makers of my signature shoe, the new GS Tam, a maximal cushion trail shoe built to go the distance, double P-backs, midsole, double bow, a fit system, Michelin outsole. It really is the complete package. I, again, personally helped to refine the product through the design and prototyping process and couldn't be more proud of the finished product. Pre-order is open now. Delivery is next month. Visit runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off. If you enjoy what we do here at Free Trail, consider joining Free Trail Pro. It is an amazing, passionate group of trail runners around the world. We just blew through 600 people in the Free Trail Slack workspace. It's the most amazing, dynamic, and entertaining platform, I think, for ultra and trail running conversation. You can get access to that. You can get access to our training plans, our member-only podcast, Rest Day, which is usually hosted by Katie Asmith and Ellie Pell. You can come to our weekly office hour Zoom calls where we answer questions and celebrate wins from the community and a lot more. Membership is only $10 a month or $96 for the whole year, and there is a free trial, so come give it a shot. And if you're in the market for a trail running coach, check out Free Trail Experts, where we've got some great coaches waiting to help you take your game to the next level. There's a link to that also in the show notes. And one of our coaches, Hannah Allgood, is going to be racing the Black Canyon 
100K this coming weekend, along with fellow coach, actually head coach Keely Henninger, but we just released a video documenting Hannah Allgood's recent training camp on the Black Canyon 100K course, which you can find on the Free Trail YouTube channel. So go give that a watch after today's episode. For now, hope you enjoy the conversation with the great Mario Fraioli. Mario Fraioli, friend, inspiration, and now neighbor. Welcome to the crib, bro. Good to see you. It's good to be here. Welcome uh, to the better half of Marin. I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate for that, but I think it's true. Dude, so good to be back. I'm so pumped to be back. It's great to have you back. I'm painting the picture for our audience here. We're sitting at my dining room table in a house filled with boxes. Boxes. <laughs> Unpacking is going to take the better part of the next 12 months, I think, but... We're so happy to be back. That's right. You're in no rush. So exactly. Take your time. We have decades to unpack. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. I love it. Take the long-term view. So dude, you know, it was around this time last year. It was like probably closer to early January, 2022. The last time we did a podcast and it was a fun sort of life career running personal professional update. So I figured this would be fun for us to just do on an annual occasion. Yeah, totally. I think it was actually New Year's Day. Was it? Yeah, we we recorded it and I probably put it out like a couple of days later. Um, but I remember it being like, I think it was New Year's Day. If not, it was like no later than the second, yeah. but I think we did it on New Year's Day. And we went like at least two hours on that one. It was we, long. We yeah, only yeah. have about an hour and a half for this one. So we better jump right into it. <laughs> but I, do, I mean, I feel like last year we were both sort of like on the precipice of big new life things. I certainly mm-hmm. was. And maybe so we could do a little summary of how 2022 was before maybe talking about some of the things that you're working on now, because I think there's a lot of things that developed, materialized in a way that you weren't expecting. So maybe first, I mean, last time you were talking about how you were looking forward to turning 40 in 2022. Yeah. And here I, here I am 40 years old, right in front of you. I'm there. You look amazing, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You don't look a day over 39. (laughs) So too. Maybe, uh, maybe just catch us up quickly. I don't know where we want to start. Should we start with running or career stuff? Uh, What's most interesting to you right now? I mean, both are, both are super interesting and they're kind of intertwined. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's tough to separate the two. I mean, as of this conversation, I'm coming off of a race this past weekend. So maybe we can start with that and take it from there. Let's talk about it. So you were back home. Yep. In the Boston, Massachusetts area yep. to run the New Balance Grand Prix. Yep. Testing yourself against some of the best masters in the country, I think. Yeah. Over a mile distance. One mile, eight laps of the indoor track at the the new track at New Balance, which is just a phenomenal facility. Great meet. It was super cool to be a part of it. Tell us about it. Because you will, for those who don't subscribe to the newsletter, you absolutely should. The morning shakeout. I reread your race report before you came over this afternoon and you're probably took, probably took you longer to read it. It took me to run the race itself. It was uh, a little excessive, but no apologies. Well, tell us about the, the, well, tell us about your running more generally and backing up again. Last time we talked on the podcast, you were looking forward to turning 40 and competing mm-hmm. as a master. And it felt like you were engaging with that milestone as if it was a new beginning for your athletic life. Yeah. I think that's a, a good way to put it. I was eagerly anticipating turning 40, which I did 
last May. And I, and I still can't really explain to you what it was about flipping that page that really excited me. I mean, some of it is at least in competitive running circles is becoming a, a master's athlete 40 plus. I mean, there are a lot more opportunities to run in masters only races, which I mean, when you're like 39, 38, 39 years old and, and you're running in the open field against like some 22, 23 year old kids right out of college, it's, it's not really that it's fun, but it's not really that fun. Um, especially for the shorter stuff, like middle distances, even up to like half marathon marathon. So, um, you know, knowing that I would have some opportunity to compete in masters only races felt like a, a new beginning. Um, felt like the playing field was evened out a little bit. One thing I did last year, which was one of the best decisions I ever made was join the West Valley track club out of San Francisco. And they've had a strong masters racing team for several years now. Oh, yeah. Um, almost always on the podium at club cross country nationals. And honestly, a lot of guys with similar backgrounds to me who ran collegiately have had, you know, an evolving relationship with the sport, but um, are still competing after the age of, of 40 and wanted, and I, I really wanted to be part of a team. I hadn't been a part of team of a team in a long time. What value did you see in that? Um, Just accountability and inspiration. Yeah, those were certainly two of the things, but also, just to be a, a part of something bigger. I mean, you know, I think running can be a solitary, selfish pursuit, but part of being on the team and last fall we raced cross country. I mean, that's a big focal point um, for the team. And, you know, you, you really don't have that in other areas of, of the sport, which I think is too bad. Um, especially as a, a non-professional post-collegiate adult. And, um, I, I really, you know, I was a collegiate athlete like you were, and I really cherished being a part of a team. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, those guys are still my best friends this day, meeting my, Same. my collegiate teammates, um, even, whether they're running or not. I mean, just, just this past weekend at this race in Boston, I mean, I had a whole bunch of my teammates there, like watching, watching my race and cheering me on, which was super cool. I mean, those bonds literally last a lifetime Yep. and, you know, being over 40, it's a different phase in life, but it's same, same sort of thing. Like you connect over common interests. Um, you feel like you're a part of something bigger. You share experiences with each other. I mean, I think one of the beautiful things about this sport, whether you're racing a mile marathon, ultra marathons is that shared suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if you're, if you're racing and competing and cross country is very much that I know, you know, you've done some cross country races in the last few years. I can't wait to get involved with the season. Oh, you gotta do it, man. And and it's just like, I, I can't really articulate right here what it is about that, that, that brings people together, but it does. Um, and then just the stuff, you know, before the races and after the races. And, you know, I, I train on my own mostly, but, you know, meet up with those guys every so often for workouts or long runs. We yeah, were doing that. I recall they used to do like a Monday track session. Did you ever drop in on those or I never dropped in during the week is tough for me to get in the city, but yeah. we did some weekend ones, especially, um, this year because nationals was at golden gate park in San Francisco. Right. So in the weeks leading up to nationals, we were getting on the course and doing workouts together as a team. And, um, you know, when, when you're racing as a part of a team in, in cross country, it's not about you. I mean, it, it's about the team and, and it, it changes the motivation a little bit. And, and I love that because, you know, you're fighting for every spot because that's going to help your team succeed. It's yeah. not, 
you know, whether or not you win the race or, you know, you set a personal best, it's like, it's like your, your result is going to impact the the team. And, and I've always enjoyed that. I, I like being there for other people. Um, it really motivated me when I was racing because when I had those moments where I just wanted to, to quit and like crawl into a hole because it hurt so bad. I'm like, no, I got to keep fighting. You know, I'm, I'm fighting for these, these four other guys who are also scoring or, or like really six other guys. Cause seven of us score, but everyone who's out there, you know, there's a common purpose to it. Yeah. Um, and I, I hadn't had that in a long time and I, I missed I it. This is a great opportunity. How nervous you were before every the, race, the regional one at least. Yeah. And maybe that was born out of a feeling of responsibility for the team. I think you even articulated that in the newsletter. Yeah. I, I had a side stitch early on. Cause I think I just made myself so nervous really? because I, you know, I ended up being our second scorer on that day. Um, and we were trying to win the PA championship, which we, which we did. And, and I was really worried that I was going to blow up and let the team down. I mean, that was my biggest fear. Um, and same, same thing at, at nationals, I was able to, to kind of course correct a little bit yeah. and like, you know, not, not be as nervous, but yeah, I had that feeling going into, to PAs. I was like nervous, like just driving there. I was like, I was like, I really don't want to F it up today. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that, and that's something when you're racing for your, for yourself, you're like, well, you know, if, if I have a bad, if I have a bad race, like I have a, I yeah. have a bad race, but here, if I have a bad race and the team's counting on me to be one of our top three guys and I'm like our seventh guy, yeah. I mean, that could, that could really like ruin it for us, yeah. you know, especially um, the West Valley masters team. Yeah. I mean, and I, fortunately we have a very deep team. So if yeah. I, if I had had a bad race, I think we would have been fine. Certainly at PAs, but I mean, every second and, and every place counts. Um, so, you know, it is kind of high stakes and you know, in that way. And and there's something about that that does make you nervous, but there's also something about that. I really just, uh, I love it. Yeah. Um, I, I really love it. I like, I like being on the line. It feels to me like just as a consistent reader of your newsletter, mm -hmm. we haven't had a deep catch up in a long time, but it feels to me just as a reader that you are more engaged in running and enjoying it more than you have in a long time. Is that an accurate that's a hundred percent accurate. I, I said that to someone just yesterday, I am having more fun as a competitive athlete at 40 than I was at 30 and maybe than I was at 20, definitely than I, than I was at 20 at 20, I was running a lot faster. Um, so I was, I was younger, as I was saying earlier, but I, my relationship with the sport wasn't as healthy as it is now. And I think that's a big part of it. Like I, you know, I've been doing this sport at a, at a competitive level for 26 years now. Um, more than half of my life. And I haven't always had the best relationship with it. I haven't always enjoyed it. I haven't always been doing it for the right reasons. And at 40 years old, I feel like I have a better relationship with it than I've, I've ever had. Um, and, and that has nothing to do with the times that I'm running, um, or where I'm placing in, in races, though I, I do care about those things. And I want to do, you know, I want to do well, but just the way that I think about, the pursuit on a daily basis and the place that it holds in my life. It's never been better. And, and I'm enjoying because of that, I'm enjoying it more than, than I ever have. And what I'm starting to see now or have seen over the last year or so is I'm having some of the best results I've had in a while. Again, not my fastest that I've ever done for some of these races, but better than I was doing five years ago, mm -hmm. better than I was doing 10 years ago. Um, and it's not that I'm, I'm training more or training harder, but I feel like it's just occupying a better place in my life than it has in 
in years past. And I'm starting to realize the the fruits of that. It gives me a lot of hope because I've never felt worse as an athlete <laughs> than I do right now. But anyway, you're just returning home from the New Balance Grand Prix yep. where you raced a mile. So maybe before we get to the race itself, how did that become your goal in this early part of 2023? And yeah, mm. what what uh, what put that on your radar and what inspired you to, to chase the mile again? So I had been an attendee of the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix in the past three or four times. And I, I always go and watch the whole meet. Um, I'm there from the time the doors open till the time they close. And if you look at the schedule for a meet like that, they have the non-professional events. They don't have a lot of them, but they usually have some high school relays, maybe high school mile. Sometimes they'll move the high school mile to prime time. The master's races, they'll they'll do those early at the uh-huh. very beginning of the program, basically before the sprint prelims. And usually the arena is not very full there. Um, not many people want to watch the master's mile and then the stands start to get packed when the superstars show up um and the excitement's happening and you know i i just remember like noticing that they had this master's miles this is this is cool i'm like you know these men and women are are 40 plus um they're very good they're not professional and they have an opportunity to race in arguably the, the best indoor track meet in the u.s and you know, so I always had it in the, in the back of my mind, but never really thinking that I would take part in it ever or, or, or anytime soon. Um, and, you know, in the last couple of years, as I was, you know, as I was approaching 40 and thinking about what I wanted to pursue in the sport, I felt this strong pull to go back to my roots and race on the track to, race cross country, do some shorter stuff, which I hadn't really focused on in, in a long time, like well over a decade. Um, I'd mostly been focused on marathons and halves and, you know, ultra marathons for a while. And for whatever reason, I, I felt the pull to challenge myself at, at these shorter distances. So, you know, when I turned 40, I joined West Valley, I was running cross country, Last fall, I actually, even before I turned 40, I should back up a little bit. I raced on the track outdoors last spring for the first time in 16 years. I hadn't done a track race at, at, at all, indoors or out, put on the spikes again in 16 years, raced the 1500. And I only did two races, but I had so much fun. Um, I was like this, I'm like, this is cool. I missed this rush. Um, you know, it's different going to one of those meets as, as an almost 40 year old yeah. versus like being a 18, 19, 20 year old in, you know, you in college. Up for much like much longer, <laughs> uh, you know, but I didn't feel the same pressure and and it was interesting. You know, the, the last meet that I ran, uh, at San Francisco state, mostly collegiate meet, but they allow open athletes in, but it's, it's mostly college kids. I mean, I'm, I'm in, you know, like heat nine of the 1500 meters and, uh, most of the guys I'm competing against are freshmen, sophomores in college. They're half my, literally half my age. <laughs> and I can see just the, you know, the look of, I don't want to call it concern, but just like, you know, pressure on their, on their face. They're either trying to hit a mark to maybe qualify for the varsity team or to, you know, make their league meet or to qualify for regionals or, or something like that. And for me, I'm just like, I'm just completely curious and that's yeah. it. I, I, like, I feel no pressure. I'm just curious to see what I can do. Um, and it was just like, it was really interesting. So 
you know, I, I did this mini track season in the spring and I was like, yeah, I want to do more of this. Yeah. Um, and you know, I wouldn't have the opportunity again till, till this year. And then by that point, I'll have been 40 years old. I was like, well, where, where can I, where can I start? And I remember that the new balance meet had a master's mile and you know, it's in Boston. It's where I'm from. My family can come watch me. I'm like, I'm doing that race. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing that race. I've been to that meet a whole bunch of times. It's exciting. It'd be cool to be a part of it. Um, and honestly, if it, if it wasn't in Boston, I'd probably have zero interest right. in it. But the fact that it was a homecoming for me, I only had to pay for a flight. I stay at my dad's house. Uh, I can invite all my family and friends. I was like, that'll, that'll be exciting. So when I was at the, when I was at the, the meet at SF state, I just like drove down by myself, ran the race, drove home and it was fine. It was fun. Yeah. Uh, and I saw some people there. Um, my buddy Shane came on his lunch break and watched me. Um, but you know, did he really? yeah, yeah he did. He came down, he came down, uh, from his job site and, and, you know, watched the race and cheered me, which was Good super man. cool. But, um, but, you know, I was like, that'll be cool. Um, and that'll be just an exciting atmosphere to, you know, to be a part of it. And, um, when cross country season was over, I, I reached out to the meet director about how to get into it. Cause there's no instructions really online. Oh. And, um, I, I got a reply back and we're like, we're looking for, you know, on the men's side guys who've, who've shown they can run under 435, which my 1500 equivalent was, was faster than that. And, uh, they let me in the race and it was like, all right, it's time to, so time to go for those who didn't read the full race report, you must do so morning shakeout. The morning shakeout.com is probably the best place to yeah. find today's or this week's newsletter, but you finished second place ran four thirty. So yep. maybe give the abbreviated race report here and any takeaways. <laughs> uh, yeah, I finished, finished second to Phil Stead who, is out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. He trains with the very nice track club. Um, just for those who don't know, it's, it's one of the the better post-collegiate groups in the country. Is there a rivalry with West Valley? No, cause they don't have a master's team really. They're actually, I mean, when I say post-collegiate group, I mean, Hobbs Kessler is part of this group. Oh, he was, okay. um, you know, uh, he's a young pro, um, you know, four went college to, to race at the professional level. Um, Nick Willis was a part of that group. Mason Furlick, who's on the Olympic team and the steeplechase is part of that group. It's mostly a lot of, um, uh, ex university of Michigan athletes and their, their former coach, Ron Warhurst, uh, coaches the very nice track club. So Phil trains with them. Um, so he's, he's got a great training group and set up in Ann Arbor. He's a national champion in the mile. So I, I was aware of him going into the race. Uh, and, and he ran great. I mean, he put himself at the front about a lap into it and never relinquished the lead. I kept cutting into it and cutting into it. Uh, but as my college coach would say, I ran out of real estate at, at the very end. Um, but yeah, it was a small field. I mean, I think there were six or seven of us on the, on the line. Um, a couple guys from Boston guy from New York, um, someone from Spain, I think yeah. was, was in the race. Um, but just a very competitive field. And we were at the beginning of the program. They had the women's master's mile first. They had a couple of high school relays and then us. And based on my past experience, I didn't think there'd be anyone in the arena when, when we raced or just be starting to fill up and people weren't going to watch a bunch of, bunch yeah. of old guys like racing around the track. But when they brought us down from the, the practice area and we got into the competition track, the stands were full. Um, 5,000 people sold out and, wow. um, they weren't there to watch us. Uh, right. Sydney McLaughlin was running the 60 meter prelims yeah. like 15 minutes after us. So, you know, fortunately, um, 
you know, we, we were able to take advantage of that, but the crowd was into it. That's I mean, amazing. they were going nuts and we got the full pro experience. I mean, each of us got announced on the start line, um, you know, got to do a little wave to the <laughs> wave to the crowd. Um, you know, my friend, the, the there. morning shakeout branding on the, on yep. the tracksmith kit. Yeah. Uh, ABB like a, shout out to Brett rivers, always be branding. There you go. Um, but yeah, I had the, had the morning shakeout logo on my singlets. Um, you know, my dad and sister were in the stands, um, three of my groomsmen for my wedding were in the stands, um, cheering me on a bunch of college teammates as, as well, former training partners from my post-collegiate years in, in Boston. So it really was like a homecoming How fun. for me. And, and my goal going in was to, to be competitive. I, I, I wanted to win the race. I mean, that was, that was my goal. And I, I felt like I was in pretty good shape for the mile. I hadn't done any tune-up races, um, for the mile. So I was, I was going in cold, I guess. in in that regard, I wanted to do, you know, a time trial a couple weeks ago, but the weather here was atrocious. So right. I wasn't able to, to make it happen. Um, I think I would have benefited from that, but you know, you go in and, and you give it what you got on, on the day. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to give you an abbreviated version, but no, bas basically, um, you know, the, the gun goes off and, you know, I, I get off the line pretty well. Uh, I was at the front. I was like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to lead the entire way, you know, let a couple of the guys go by me, which, um, I was fine with. So I wanted to tuck in, but I ended up getting caught in a box and fill, you know, a lap in. So 200 meters into the race, like, less than 40 seconds into the race, you know, he was at the front he was out of trouble. Um, just yeah. didn't have to go around anyone. Didn't have anyone clipping at his heels. Uh, and I'm, you know, kind of boxed between three guys, which I don't want to be leading, but I also don't want to be right there because sure. you know, you're stuck and you can't really, you can't really move. I, and I also wasn't in a rush to get out of there. Cause I just felt terrible. Like my legs just weren't responding. I mean, you know, a lot of that was they brought us down pretty early and you're limited. And, you know, basically by the time you get to the start line, this wasn't just me. It was, it was everyone, but um, you know, you're kind of cold by the time you get to the, the uh. start line, cause you've warmed up so long ago and you've just kind of been, you know, moving around a little bit, but not really able to just like keep your heart rate up or anything mm -hmm. like that. But um, yeah, I didn't feel great the first few laps, but I was a little annoyed that I was, I was in the box. It was my own fault. Um, you know, and through halfway five laps um, I was, basically in fourth place the entire time. And Phil was still out in front and, and I was able to, I was able to get out of it with like three laps to go and, um, started charging and, um, started making up ground on Phil. Like he was four seconds up and he was three seconds up. He was two seconds up. And then by the time we finished, he was, uh, less than two seconds ahead of me. So it was exciting. Like I could feel him coming back, but you know, I also, I also know he's a great runner. He's got incredible 800 meter speed. And yeah. if I, if I had got on his shoulder, he might've had a, another gear there. I'm, I mean, I'll never know, but I look for, I mean, I cool down with them, cool down with all the other guys too. I'm like, all right, I think this is going to be like a thing over the next yeah. few years. Like we're probably going to find each other at races and, you know, be, you know, be going back and forth. Um, and it's cool to have that. It reminds me of like college rivalries. It's that I so had. apparent how much fun you're having right yeah. now. I can feel it across the table. Yeah, it like... was, it was a blast. I mean, I was just like, you know, it was, it was a bit of a foreign feeling. I hadn't raced indoors in 17 years. Um, you know, I'd raced that 1500 last spring, but it'd been so long. So it was a shock to my, my system, <laughs> like literal shock to my system. Um, physically just like, dealing with those sensations during the race yeah. and being like, can, can I hold this or am I going to completely explode type of thing? Um, and then you finish and you know, you're indoors. So the air is really dry. Felt like I had a campfire in my throat, 
I'm lightheaded, uh, not getting much oxygen to my brain. I had to sit down for a minute just to like kind of gather myself. And, uh, you know, a line that I'd, I'd written in the newsletter, it's like, I, I really wanted to die. Like, yeah. you just feel like you want to die. But at the same time, like, I've never felt more alive. And um, I just feel, needed that. Yeah. Do you feel that going that hard as you get older is valuable in some way? In the same way that they say, like, you know, maintaining, doing your strength training program. But I mean, I find as I age that how important it is for me to continually do harder efforts just to to feel less stale. Yeah. And that's all relative and it's going to look different for everyone. But I think it's, for me, I can only speak for myself, an important part of of who I am and what makes me feel alive. And, And every time, even though I've, I mean, I've raced hundreds of miles in, in my life and felt that way hundreds of times in my life. But every time I learn something new yeah. and, and that's a gift. It's, it's really a gift. And especially at, you know, 40 years old, I'm, I mean, you're approaching 40 in the yeah. next couple of years. So we have friends of, of the same age and, you know, I'm just grateful that I can do this yeah. uh, and that I'm still doing that. I want to do it. And, um, you know, that, I, that I'm able to, cause I know others, I, I know others who, who aren't, and that's fine. I yeah. mean, some of that's their, their choice and some of it's due to circumstance and no judgment either way. But I just, I feel really grateful that I have a body and mind that, that allows me to go to that place. And, and that still wants to go to that place. Um, and I just feel like it, it benefits me in so many ways beyond just the satisfaction of, you know, running a good race. Yeah. I went on a run with Jeff Stern this morning and he was telling me about the track workouts that you guys have been doing in Mm -hmm. preparation for not only the new balance grand prix, but looking ahead towards Boston marathon, Boston. So maybe give us the preview of how things will transition now from track season (laughs) to marathon season. Yeah. I've been running a long time. I've never done anything quite like this because back when I was racing miles frequently, I was not a marathoner. And when I was when I was racing marathons almost exclusively or, or primarily, I should say, uh, I wasn't thinking about racing a mile. So, um, the day after the mile, I went out to the Boston marathon course and ran 18 miles over the Hills, um, for my long run. And yeah, this is a mile to marathon, 10 week program and course scouting. Yeah. I course scouting while I was there. I mean, that was another, uh, you know, another, um, great reason to make the trip appeal to make the Mm -hmm. trip, um, just to spend some time on the Boston marathon course, which I think is, I mean, it's obviously one of the most historic marathon courses, if not the most historic marathon course, aside from the, the original route in, in Greece that, that exists, but it's also just a, really fucking hard. Yeah. Um, and it's no matter how many times you, you run it or how well you think, you know, it. um, you can't do enough homework on it. Uh. And, you know, I took that as an opportunity while I was there to just study up a little bit, um, and, and refamiliarize myself with the, you know, the turns and the hills and the ups and the downs. And, um, and it was great. I mean, there's, you got to go to Boston sometime. I really would love and, to come this year would be a good year to go. Yeah. With Kipchoge running. Um, but it's just like, even, but, but just go like even outside the race, yeah. because, you know, I'm out on the course Sunday morning running by myself from, you know, Boston college, which is right around mile 22 all the way out to basically halfway in Wellesley and back is, is what I did. So, you know, over the, the hilliest part of the course. And I mean, there were easily at least a thousand people out mm. there um, running this the same route or no some version way. of the route that I was. And what's cool about it 
is a lot. I mean, a lot of the local clubs will have big groups of runners out there, but um, I don't think this is like an official thing, but there were like five aid stations, you know, along the route where you could, I mean, I stopped at the firehouse and just got a gallon of water, uh, you know, drank a drank out of it at trash can there. They had Gatorade. If you wanted it, um, they'd put porta potties out for the runners. I mean, it's, it's, it's a thing. Like it's does a that vibe. Happen every weekend or was it like, the, sort of well, this is, this was not a surprise to me having grown up in the area. I'd, yeah. I'd done this in years past, but this happens every year. I mean, basically from like, you know, call it January till April, um, weekends leading up to the Boston marathon. I mean, there are runs like BAA does, you know, runs almost every weekend or almost every weekend tracksmith, um, the weekend before had like bust a bunch of people out to the start line. They ran the first like 18 or 20 miles of the course and just people who live locally get out there and, and spend time on it. But it, I mean, having grown up in that area, like it's the marathon yeah. and people are into it, especially along that route. And, um, it was just cool to be a part of that energy and excitement this past, this past weekend got me fired up, uh, for, for April. But yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of been training in a, fairly unique way the last six to eight weeks because I needed to be fast enough and sharp enough to be competitive in, in this mile. But I also needed to be doing enough volume and strength-based work so that I could make a fairly smooth transition to mm-hmm. marathon training. And we'll see ultimately how that ends up playing out. But right now I, I feel great. Um, it's definitely a different mindset, uh, both in in the training for each of those events, but also you know, wrapping your head about around how to race them. Right. Cause you know, miles four and a half minute race, yeah. uh, for me, for me and, and the marathons, a, you know, roughly two and a half hour race yeah. for me. Um, it's the, probably a great way to prepare though. I think, especially yeah. as an aging athlete, right. To focus on that super high intensity stuff yeah, and then just go back to the bread and butter, longer tempo based strength building. Yeah. I mean, I've always had a philosophy of, of which I learned from Alan Culpepper. It's not my original philosophy of get fast first. Um, and and that's going to look different depending on how much time you have and sort of like where you are, but I I definitely did that. And now I'm going to be layering some, some strength work on top of that, doing less of the, so what's the goal at Boston? You think you got a PR in you? I think I can get in PR shape, but I've, I've learned, um, racing that event five times and coaching. I mean, dozens so if not hundreds yeah. of people for it it's like you can never really count on a on a time because you just never know what the day is going to throw sure. at you yeah. i mean the the weather is always a huge factor that course runs from west to east so depending which way the wind's blowing i mean if it's at your back great um but if it's in your face you're fighting it the entire way um you know i've run that race when it's been perfect conditions i've run it when it's been hot i've run it in 2018 when it was like completely miserable so i mean i think you gotta or at least what I'm focusing on is just getting myself as fit as possible. Mm-hmm. And and I do think I can get in PR shape. Um, I, I know that I can get in PR yeah. shape, but whether or not it's a PR day um, remains to be seen. Yeah. Um, but I, I know I can get there, but even looking beyond Boston, if the marathon is something that continues to to interest me, um, I still think even in my forties, I'm capable of running faster than I did in 2018 when I was 36 and yeah. set my personal best of 2.27. 
The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Best Day Brewing. Dry January is over, but your boy is staying disciplined with his alcohol consumption or lack thereof. Not exaggerating, this is one of the biggest focuses of my life right now to reduce my overall alcohol intake as a dad, as an athlete, as a small business owner. Every day is just filled to the brim with important responsibilities that deserve and require my full attention. And I have noticed that I just do not operate with the same focus or with the same energy when I'm drinking, even just one or two nights a week. I have to say also my mood and attitude are so much worse when I'm on the booze also. As such, I've been making a huge effort to reduce my consumption and my goodness, do I feel so much better. And that's where Best Day Brewing comes in. I can still enjoy the ritual of a cold beer without the alcohol that so compromises my performance both on and off the trails. Best Day is brewed for doers like you and me. I'm sure there are many listeners who find themselves in the same position as me. You don't have to fully abstain, but let's hold each other accountable to reduce our alcohol intake in 2023. Visit bestdaybrewing.com and enjoy their selection of delicious craft brews and have your best day yet. Bestdaybrewing.com. Tell them Free Trail sent you. So can we start talking about career stuff? Yeah, let's start talking about career stuff. Do I get to ask you questions or is this all about me? We could go back and forth a little bit, but I'm really excited to talk about this. I'm just really interested to sort of hear what's new with you because your work product is still phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And it seems that you're still as committed to the newsletter as you've always been, Mm -hmm. but that you've struggled with the podcast. So maybe just give us the quick state of the union with the morning. (laughs) Yeah, um, it's evolved. The morning shakeout has has evolved, and the newsletter I just put out issue three. Forgetting at this point, like three seventy eight, maybe wow, um, three eighty seven. So that's or every yeah. Tuesday, every Tuesday. It's been seven plus years at this wow. point. I haven't missed a week of putting the newsletter out, and I mean, even that's evolved. I mean, when I started it, I, I had no business ambitions behind it at all. I had a full-time job. And and the goal wasn't to turn the morning shakeout newsletter into my job. I mean, circumstances kind of led me to that a couple of years later, but really it was a creative outlet for me. It was an itch I wanted to scratch. And um, I was working at competitor magazine at the time. And my primary job there was to Managed the training content. I produced a lot of it myself. I covered events. I interviewed athletes, but it was all pretty objective. I could never really get opinionated. That just wasn't what we did. Mm-hmm. And and I have had and still have a lot of opinions on on the sport and things that are happening competitively behind the scenes, et cetera. And that was my that was my outlet for it. Um, and it was mostly based on that. But I but I you know I took creative liberty and it could. From the beginning, it was like whatever I wanted it to be. So even though that would be its primary focus, you know, I'd give my opinion on something that was happening or my thoughts um, or analyze an event, something like that. I would always, you know, share other stuff, um, things that interested me in running or maybe things that I was thinking about or things that I was reading or watching at the time, um, whether it was running related or not. And, and over the course of the last seven and a half years, mostly in the last like two, two and a half, it's, it shifted more toward being my outlet where I keep people updated as to what I'm up to. So I don't 
have my own personal social media anymore. It's a decision I made three years ago. So I think yeah. that that was you know part of the the turning point. Um, and sharing my experiences as an athlete, as a coach, um, as someone who's who's in the media, getting less opinionated, um, realizing and telling myself that I, I don't need to have an opinion on everything. Cause I I did hit a point where I felt like if something happened in the sport that, and this was all self-induced that, and, and maybe this is my, my ego talking, but people wanted to know what I had to say about it. Have and, a take. Yeah. Have to have a take. Stephen and, A. Smith. <laughs> yeah. Had to have a take. And, and I put a lot of pressure on myself to have a take, even when I might not have had one or I didn't have a fully formed one. Yeah. Um, but I would do it and, and it drove me nuts. I mean, I didn't enjoy it. I mean, and, and I don't know if I've shared this publicly, but the straw that broke the camel's back for me was when Shelby Houlihan got busted for Okay. Um, it happened on a Monday newsletter goes out on a Tuesday. Mondays are busy days for me. Anyone who knows me well knows like you're not getting in touch with me really yeah. on a Monday. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm on it all day. Um, and that happened like Monday afternoon. And I was like, shit. Yeah. I'm like, I have to write about this. Yeah. No one told me I had to write about it, but I'm like, I have to write about this. People are going to be like, what does Mario think about I mean, this? admittedly it would be weird if he didn't address it. Yeah. And the next day. especially yeah. given like what I'd been doing at that point. And I remember I stayed up to some ungodly hour, like, you know, two, three in the morning, like, you know, cause I, I don't want to just put out a take. I want it to be a very thoughtful experienced take. Right. Uh, I'm not just like shooting from the, something you're proud the of. hip here, something yeah. I'm proud of, something I can stand behind. Um, but it's also coming from some, like everyone has a take, right. But it's coming from someone who takes his reputation seriously, but has also been in this sport for a long time. And, and, knows a lot of the characters involved and can help paint a better picture of, of what's actually happening. And that's hard to do. Um, especially like when it's a, a breaking thing and you're on like a short deadline or reminding me of my newspaper days. So what happened with it? Did that, you said that was a sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. It I put you in a box where you felt like you had to come up with a perspective on it again, all self-induced. Yes. And I did. And I put that out and, and I'm proud of what I wrote and I stand behind what I wrote but I didn't enjoy it. Yeah. I was like, why the stay up yeah. until like some ungodly hour to, to do this? Like, cause in two weeks, no one's going to care. Right. You know? And, and that was sort of a moment of reckoning for me where I was like, what do I want to do with this platform that, that I have the newsletter specifically? Um, do I want to have a take on something that people are going to forget about a week or two later? It's on to the next thing and keep doing that. Cause, cause you can do that. And, and, People make careers out of that. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it wasn't what I wanted to, to do anymore. What I wanted to do was more of the stuff that I felt had a longer shelf life. And, yeah. and you know, that was more sustainable. Sustainable for me as the person creating it, um, but also for people who might read the newsletter, you know, three weeks later or a month later, it's like, oh, this still applies, you know, yeah. type of thing. Um, you know, whether it's a lesson that I learned or you know, something that I, that I wanted to share. So that was a, a big turning point for, you know, for the newsletter. I, I don't offer up many takes anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I've definitely lost some subscribers over that because that's what people came to it too. Mm. And they're like, well, this is what I came here for. And I'm not getting any more. So I'll go somewhere else. And that's fine. Really? Um, yeah. Huh. And, and also that's surprising to me and also being like exhaustive in my coverage of the sport. That's yeah. some pressure I put on myself as well. Cause early on and, and for the first several years, I tried to, if something significant happened in this sport, like I gotta, again, have a take on it. I gotta mm -hmm. share this. Um, 
you know, and, and it's, there's just so much happening, especially since I don't have, you know, I'm not like, you know, your, your trail, it's in your name. Like yeah. you cover, you cover just trail ultra running is like just ultra. I would, I would do ultra. I would do trail. I would do, uh, middle distance stuff, marathon. Like it was, it was just like, you know, I, I don't want to do that. I'm a one man show in, in this regard. Um, and there's other places that honestly, um, are focused on that and they do it better. Yeah. And, and I don't think I can do as good of a job as that. And I really want to provide value. And I was like, well, where can I provide the most value? I think I can provide the most value in sharing my experiences as an athlete, you know, as a coach and as someone who has a lot of experience um, in multiple areas of, of the sport. And, yeah. and that's where it is today. Um, every once in a while, I might, you know, have a, a, a short take on something that happened, or if I watched a race and um, I found a performance, you know, inspiring or important in some way, I try to relay why that's the the case, but I don't feel the need to have a take on everything that that's happening. And that's been a huge relief for me. Um, and it's, it's saved me some late nights, yeah. uh, and helped me get my sanity back. Um, uh, cause Mondays were always like stressful and I'd be up late into the night, like, you know, trying to make sure. Does that come from like a putting out was right. non-confrontational instinct? Like you don't want to hurt people's feelings. Not necessarily. I think some of it just perfectionist tendencies. Mm. Um, well, so maybe this is a good jumping off point for the podcast. Yeah. Because in my opinion, you're like one of the best podcast hosts, interviewers that exists. Well, and you. so it's surprising to me to read in your newsletter that you're like losing enthusiasm for it. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I mean, the podcast is currently on hiatus. Uh, I haven't put out a new episode since the end of 2022. And even then, I mean... I was on fumes the last few months of the year. I did a lot of rerun episodes, not a lot of um, fresh conversations where, you know, we're, we're coming out. And I mean, you know, you know, from being in this space, so a lot of hard work to put a podcast out, a quality podcast out on a regular schedule. Consistency. And for me, again, all of this is self-imposed. I blame no one but myself. I committed to doing a weekly long form conversation for the podcast with someone in running athlete, coach, marketer, race director, activist. I mean, I, I, I've interviewed all manner of people, um, for, for the podcast. And I love those conversations. Um, I value them deeply and, and I think they've had a positive impact on people, which, which means a lot. I also do a lot of other things. I mean, my, my primary job is coaching. I mean, I spend 75% of my working time coaching athletes, um, mostly one-on-one and, you know, you know how intensive that can be. And, and it's not only time intensive, it's, it's emotionally intensive. And I found the second half of last year, I was just drained um, from, from all of it. And I had to step back and be like, all right, this is like what I'm doing or trying to do right now is not sustainable. This is exactly where I am right now. So how, how can I, or what can I shift to make this, you know, more enjoyable and sustainable? Yeah. And the thing I was most burnt on was, was the podcast. It was the biggest burden um, that I was carrying well, professionally. Why? why? You weren't enjoying it or it felt? I just couldn't make the time necessary to do it well uh. and do it right. And that is, as you know, that's scheduling the guests, that's coordinating the time to do it. That's edit, going through the editing process, figuring out when you're going to, you know, publish it. Um, it takes up a lot of, of time, takes up a lot of your headspace as, as well. And, and I couldn't make the time to do that. And like, I didn't feel like 
I was fully there for a lot of those conversations because I was just so drained from everything else. Yeah. And and that's not fair to anyone. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to the guest that is on the show. And it's not fair to the listeners who are, you know, who, who are listening to it. And, and again, like this is all coming from me. I mean, other people, like, I didn't notice any difference at all. Yeah. Um, but you know, I know, and, and that's, that's all I need is like, I need to know. And I was like, I just need to step away from this for a bit. Cause I love podcasting. I love having long form conversations. I enjoyed the medium, you know, in, in many different sides, like as, as a, as a host, as a producer, as, as a listener. Um, but it was just, it was just too much. Um, and it wasn't, and what I was doing was not sustainable. So I'm like, all right, what do I do? Um, do I fire athletes that, uh, that I coach? Uh, do I dial the podcast back to, you know, once a month or every other week or something like that. But I, I couldn't do that because I was committed through the end of the year to sponsors, sponsors, frankly. I mean, you know, we have an annual sponsorship model and there's benefits to that because there's some financial security there and stability in terms of where your revenue is coming from. But there's also, uh, I wouldn't even call it pressure, obligation to, to yeah. put something out every week because someone's paying for it. And, you know, we were committed through the end of the year. So I had to put podcasts out and, you know, I got a podcast out every week. Some of them were reruns, which is great. I mean, there's benefit in doing that too, because I have been doing this for five years, meaning the podcast side of things. So I had conversations, you know, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, um, that some of my newer listeners may not have heard for the first time, you know, they're so deep in the catalog. So we can bring those back and showcase them a bit. Um, and, and I got through, I basically got through the year, but when we were thinking about 2023 planning, I said to Chris Douglas, who's my business manager. I was like, Chris, I'm taking the first quarter off of podcasting. I just need like a clean break. Cause even putting out the reruns every week, um, you know, still work involved in, yeah. in that. And it was still occupying some of that space, but I needed to just create some space to, to step like a true break. Yeah. Just to, yeah. to step back and, and like really be separated from it and just rethink it and be like, all right, hmm. what place do I want this to hold? Cause I do still love doing it. Um, I think I'm good at it. I feel like my listeners take a lot away from it. Um, and they've told me that over the last few months. So that's been, you know, reinforced, but I'm like, I, I can't do it on a weekly basis anymore. Um, you know, I'm at another turning point. So, you know, what, what does that look like? And that's what I've been spending my time on. You know, it's only been at this point. So, but a why little over a month, why but. sacrifice the podcast and not the newsletter? Because the reason I ask is because, mm-hmm. again, I reread your race report from the race over the weekend. And it feels to me like you're a writer at heart. Oh, is, I totally am. Is that 100%? Accurate? Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've been a, a I mean, did you make that calculation? Second grade. Yeah, I, I did. But I was like, the pod, the, sorry, the newsletter didn't feel like a burden to me. Okay. Um, Even though you've done 375 weeks in a row. Yeah. And believe me, I've had weeks, I've had weeks where, you know, I've just wanted to, mail it in. Um, and I, and I haven't, but I'm, I haven't been in that place for a while. I mean, I think since I made the shift that I talked about a little while ago, it's just felt more enjoyable and sustainable to me to, to do it the way that I'm, that I'm doing it. Um, but the podcast was just feeling like, all right, something's got to give here and and I need to just rethink things. And, and the other part of that too, versus when I started doing the podcast, the space is much more crowded now. And as much as I like to think, and I appreciate your compliments a little while ago, that I am a good podcast host and I put out a, a quality show. There are innumerable amounts of interview style shows in the running space yeah. now. And 
it's hard to differentiate yourself, yeah. honestly. And um, you can do that mostly through through guests, but I mean, you know, a lot of guests make the rounds. You know, yeah. you see it, especially now when there's books coming out, uh, performances, that sort of thing. And and I I really tried to not do that. Um, but you know, I'm I'm like anyone else. Like yeah. some, sometimes you have like an author on, and that's the only time you can get them on the podcast, and that's coming out when everyone else is, right? Yeah. Um, so it's like taking the break allows me to just step back and look at the space and be like, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, and, and how can I differentiate myself? How can I not just be a long form interview style show? And there's nothing wrong with those. I, I, I that's my favorite <laughs> format. I love those conversations. Same. I still, I still want to do that, but I'm like, okay, how can I make this? How can I make this different? Um, we were texting each other long form interview shows this week. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, just yeah. two days ago, like you sent, you sent me one, uh, it was the Bill, Bill Simmons, Simmons on how I built this. And I sent you the Garrett McNamara one on both on incredible episodes. Yeah. Way. I haven't, oh, I don't man. have the, um, the Wondery subscription yeah. or whatever. So I couldn't, I can't listen to that Bill Simmons one until like the 13th or something. You got <laughs> early access, but you know, there, there's just a lot of them out there. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a game to a degree. Um, and you really got to, you know, you got to really find a way to like stand out and connect with your listeners. And I, I have a big listenership and, and look, I mean, me not doing the podcast to be fully frank. I mean, that's a huge financial. I was going to ask. So tell us about like the revenue business implications of it and maybe how you interacted with your long-term sponsors. Yeah. I mean, I approached them pretty early on, or at least before the end of the year, well before the end of the year saying, Hey, looking ahead to next year. Um, I'd still love to work together because I've had the good fortune of relationships with Tracksmith, New Balance, Gooder, Precision Fuel and Hydration for you know, three to six years now, depending on, on the brand. Um, and I want to maintain those relationships. Uh, I value them greatly. Um, I believe in all of these brands and, and they've allowed me to do what I, what I do. Um, and I went to them and I was like, Hey, I'm rethinking the podcast. I'm going to take a break in Q1. It will come back. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like or how frequent it's going to be. And, and when it does, I want you to be a part of it, but you know, it's up in the air right now, basically. Mm -hmm. And they were all very understanding of, of that. Um, and you just adjust your pricing. Yeah. And or... we just, yeah, we just adjusted the terms of the the relationship because um, what I've done the last few years with the morning shakeout is bundle things together. Um, yeah. So that's newsletter and, and podcast. So, you know, it looks a little bit different from that standpoint, but I still have relationships with all of, of those brands. And um, I feel fortunate that that's the case and that they, they were all very understanding. And that just shows that one, we have a good relationship. They trust me, um, to make the decision that that is best for, for me and for, you know, the morning shakeout and whatever that is, you know, and however it comes out, um, you know, they've all committed to, to sticking behind me. So, um, that'll, you know, that'll pop back up in a couple months, but I mean, that's, you know, a financial hit. I mean, the long story short, it's a financial hit. Yeah. Um, but it was like but it's an investment in the coaching business, more or less, if I'm understanding things correctly. Yeah. I mean, I that's how I spend most of my working time. And I've got some other things going on there too. We'll talk um, about that. Which we can definitely talk about. Um there's only 24 hours a day. Yeah. I mean, you know, as as much as I wish we, you know, we had more. But you know, it's it's all working out. Um, but it, it was definitely like, okay, this is going to be a bit of a, a financial hit, but I can, I can make it work. And and for me, like it would be inaccurate of me to say, I, I don't do this for the money. Cause it's how I make my living. I mean, you know, if I weren't 
if I weren't making trust me, man, money from it. what I'm from what I'm doing with the morning shakeout, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, I'd have to I'd have to have another job. I mean, there's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But you know, as I said a, a little while ago, when I started the newsletter, um, I didn't do it with any business ambitions behind it, and it is more than that, you yeah. know. And and it's like I got to balance both of of those things. So it's like the, you know, wasn't that the money wasn't important, but it wasn't like it wasn't worth that trade off to yeah. be like, all right. I'm going to force myself to do this and, you know, be miserable and not enjoy it and not do as good of a job as I can with it just because it's going to put money in my pocket, you know, versus like, I need to do this for myself because, you know, I, otherwise I'm just going to end up, you know, miserable and cranky. And that affects many other areas of, of my life as well. And, you know, maybe that's maturity, you know, cause, uh, cause a few years ago, maybe I would have, I would have made a different decision. So, yeah. um, well, I'm very much in the same situation right now. But one of the things we talked about last year that I'd love to push you on again is the fact that you've been an independent creator for such a long time, mm -hmm. but you've also had the experience of working within the support system of a bigger organization mm -hmm. like at Competitor. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if maybe in times like these, when you do feel burnt out or you're losing your steam on the podcast specifically, if you feel like you may be able to abbreviate those burnout spells or avoid them altogether. If you had a bigger team behind you, I'm wondering why you don't build the morning shakeout into like a bigger media entity. Cause I'd be a terrible boss. That's just the truth. Really? I don't like managing people. I have people who help me out. I mean, yeah. you know, John Summerford um, edited every episode of the podcast and he's committed to editing more of them. When I bring it back, Chris Douglas is my business manager. He handles a lot of the sponsor relationships for me. Um, I've got someone who's going to be helping me out with some like strategy, social media stuff here in the, in the coming months. So I have a little bit of a team to help me out with, with different things. And I, and I'm incredibly grateful to have those folks on my side. And fortunately they, they require little to no management. They're very good at, at what they do, but building out a team of writers or a network of shows, um, multiple products, um, that's just not how I'm wired and how I want to spend my time. I mean, I did work for competitor, I mean, for, for six years. Um, and I've been employed at other companies, but I don't think I'm a great employee. Did you find uh, that stifling? Like, yeah, to me, it would bit. feel really lonely. What's that? Just being an independent creator. Even if you do have, you know, a business partner in Chris Douglas and John Summerford, who was doing your, podcast editing still it would feel like especially in these really challenging moments like for us for example like i've got people in the trenches with me you yeah. know it can be lonely at times but i mean i'm an i'm an introvert so i don't mind i mean you know happiness to me is just like being in a room by myself with no one giving me trouble so um <laughs> i don't i don't mind that yeah. at all but um i'm not a great manager i would i would hate to manage people um and I just don't think it would be, you know, it would be successful. I mean, there are times when it feels lonely, but I, I, I mean, I've never struggled with that really. I think I, you know, I think that's because I, I have just good relationships in, in my life and people that I, that I can talk to or bounce ideas off of who, you know, who help me. It's not like I, I do it all on my own, but I have, you know, close friends who I'll send a draft of something that I've, I've written, have them check it out. Or if I have an idea, like, Hey, what do you think of, you know, X, Y, and Z? And they'll give me their, you know, they'll give me their thoughts on it. But I, I don't feel like I've ever needed a 
you know, like a full-time team around me or, you know, more writers or, or anything like that. I mean, I have people who help me with the things that I'm not good at doing and that I don't enjoy doing. And that's been a tremendous weight off of my shoulders and has allowed me to mostly focus on what it is that I do do well. Um, but yeah, the thought of building it into like a business that's bigger than me and that will like, you know, outlive me, it's just not, not what I'm interested in. That's so interesting. Yeah. I mean, and, and other people, I mean, like, I, other I people the are exact but, opposite. Yeah, yeah. And that's fine. I respect that. Um, you know, you're, you're clearly wired differently in in that way. And that's totally cool. Hmm. But yeah, for me, I'm like, no, that's just not a, that's not a burden that I want to bear. Let's talk about creativity a little bit. I'm reading Rick Rubin's new book. Oh man, I need to get my hands on it. I've listened to him on a few podcasts at this point and and it sounds right up my alley. It, it very much is yeah. if I know anything about you. Easy read, inspiring. And for people like us who are engaged in entrepreneurial creative activities, it I think very much gets the juices flowing. Yeah. But it makes me want to ask you about sort of your relationship with that creative energy. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm thinking back to when you shared that post Malone cover of the Pearl jam song. Oh yeah. Better man. man. Yeah. Yeah. In your newsletter. And you yeah. often share cool things like that. I try to share something musical every week. I mean, yeah. music's a big part of my life. I, I, and I am not musical to be, I have, I do not have a musical bone in my body. I just enjoy it. Um, I'm not an expert on it by any means. Like this is just stuff that just like what I enjoy doing. And I like sharing that stuff. So how do you, what's your relationship with that like creative energy and spirit? And and do you feel like the burnout that you're experiencing was just a lack of being able to engage with that feeling? I'll answer the second part first. I think the burnout that I had been experiencing was a result of me trying to live up to what I thought other people's expectations were of what I should be creating, mm. what I should be putting out. Um, I wasn't serving myself. I wasn't following my curiosity. And, and as I've analyzed it, that's, that's where I've landed. I think that's where a lot of, of those feelings kind of come from. Um, and that's self-imposed, but but that's where it originates from because to me creativity is the actualization of my curiosity mm. and when i can do that when i can just follow whatever it is that i'm i'm curious about whether it's in running or if it's you know something musical that i've listened to and just like think it through and and share it like to me that's you know, that's the definition of creativity, it's just mm -hmm. the actualization of, of curiosity. So it's just like following that curiosity and, and seeing where it, you know, seeing where it lands me. Yeah. It makes me think I got to pull out my phone now. Cause I kind of want to read an excerpt from the book that I read last night that was powerful. And that I texted to Harmony and Ryan because like we've been so struggling with our stuff. Maybe I'll read this. Let's well, see. let me, I mean, not to hijack um, your interview, but I, forgive me. It's been a while since I've been on the other side of the mic. I've got to ask some questions. Like what, what is it that you've been struggling with? I mean, it's just the immensity of the thing that we're trying to achieve and the lack of feeling like you're making any progress whatsoever. Yeah. And it's not for lack of joy or anything like that. Like we all, I think, feel enormously motivated and inspired by the mission that we're trying to achieve and the feeling that we're trying to perpetuate in our sport, in our community, it gives us a deep sense of 
purpose, but it's so fucking hard, man. It's so hard. And as you know, there's so many stretches where you're just absolutely banging your head against a wall and nothing is happening. Right. And that was the entirety of basically the whole second half of 2022. And the wins are just so few and far between, even though like the subjective feedback we get is really friendly, nearly universally positive. Like I never hear from people, I guess, who hate what we do, but I hear from a ton of people who like really appreciate Mm -hmm. what we do, which makes me feel great. But as you know, especially when you're devoting your life to something, it has to make a living for you, you know? And, And right now I struggle with the feeling of like, the only reason our business works right now is because we don't pay our core people. I mean, we have seven people really who work on free trail, three people don't make any money, myself included. Mm -hmm. And I've sunk, you know, a huge percentage of my own life savings into it. And so I just have this immense fear of like, this is never going to, it's never going to, manifest into something that actually sustains what we're trying to create. Yeah. And, yeah. So the, and especially now as a dad, it's like, gosh, like, yeah, there's bills is, to pay yeah. and people that you're responsible for. Let and me, I've completely nuked my professional athletic career in the same time. So, well, let me, let me ask you this at, at any point in your athletic career, did you ever feel that way? Like you were just run into a headwind the entire time. Like, working so hard, getting a lot of feedback, positive response, but not really getting anywhere or where you needed to be to make it sustainable. Yeah. I mean, right now is another one of those times where I feel terrible when I run. I feel like I've never been less fit and less capable physically, Mm -hmm. but there's obviously been other points of adversity in my career and they all came and went injuries, lack of motivation general lack of fitness and then it comes back around cyclically as we all know but yeah and and i'm not trying to make this sound as if it's an incredibly negative thing because i also am still filled with like an immense sense of like we're on to something yeah and in my gut my intuition is this will be worth it yeah eventually but at some point we have to have like the practical manifestation of that And, uh, that's what I'm really struggling with right now. But in the same way that when I was 25, all I could think about was getting better as an athlete. It's the same feeling now, just like, how can we make free trail better? And I'm, it's completely all consuming, obsessive tendency. Yeah. I think you're exactly where you need to be as, as disheartening as that might, might feel to hear, because I know how passionate you are about this, how hard you're working at it. I see like the content, but I also see the response to it. And I don't think it's too dissimilar. This is why I asked if you'd ever been at this point in your running career, because I think if you just stay with it, stay true to what it is that you want it to be, you know, and what you want to do. You can't see it right now. Yeah. I mean, I know you're looking for like, what's, what's going to be that thing that gets us over. So now I got to read this. Right yeah. And then, me. but, uh, and I'll leave it at this. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as cliche as it sounds, like it's going to happen when you least expect it. Yeah. So in Rick Rubin's book, he talks about, like, I think it's four phases of being creative. And of mm-hmm. course, his experience is mostly associated with musicians. But I think it applies to really anything, including sport. 
And he's talking about, so I think the first two phases are inspiration and then experimentation. Mm -hmm. And the third phase is crafting, Mm -hmm. which is where the hard work is. And then it's, I think, completion after that. I may be mixing that up a little bit, but the spirit is accurate. So this is three paragraphs. So I'll attempt to read well here on our podcast because I took a picture of this. I'm reading it off my phone for our listeners because I had to text it to Harmony and Ryan immediately. Because I feel like we're very much in the crafting phase right now. And what he says is, in some ways, the craft phase is one of the least glamorous parts of the artist's job. There is creativity involved, but it often carries less of the magic of exploration and more of the labor of bricklaying. This is the point in the journey where some struggle to carry on. For now, we need to look away from the open field and turn towards the winding staircase a hundred stories tall. A long, precarious climb lies ahead. We may be tempted to turn back and chase the thrill of feeling the light bulb flicker on above our heads, but the first two phases have little purpose or meaning on their own. Art may only exist, and the artist may only evolve by completing the work. So... I stand by what I just said. You're exactly where you need to be. I mean, you're, you're isn't in this it. where you are at the same time. Like in, yeah. in in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I, and I feel like this is a spot. I don't want to say for any, any artist, but I think for a lot where you spend most of your time yeah. um, and there's a lot of tension there and, and it does get challenging. And, you know, like I actually think um, there's a song I, I'll listen to the song when I just need like a, a snap of reality. I'm not going to sing it for everyone here. You can look it up for yourself. Um, it's by the white stripes. It's called little room. And the song is 53 seconds long. I will recite the, I will recite the lyrics for you right here. But, um, Jack white says when you're in your little room and you're working on something good, but if it's really good, you're going to need a bigger room. And when you're in the bigger room, you might not know what to do might have to think of how you got started sitting in your little room. And I think about that all the time. I mean, I think about that with the newsletter when I put it out and there were 200 people subscribed to it. It's over 11,000 now. And I think about when I'm frustrated or I'm like, why am I doing this? Um, You know, I think, I think back to when I had like 200 subscribers and it wasn't my job. And like, you know, that helps to, kind of put me in perspective. That's a lot of what I'm thinking about now with the podcast. It's like, it's like, all right, when I put the podcast out at the end of 2017 and not as many people are listening to podcasts, there weren't as many running podcasts. I still had to get the word out about it and like kind of establish myself as, you know, as an interviewer, why was it, why was I pursuing this medium in the first place? Um, You know, it wasn't for the revenue. It was because I thought I could have meaningful conversations that would impact other people's lives. And I need to remind myself of that now, you know, as of the leave off at the end of last year, 200 and I think 14 or 15 episodes and, you know, almost 5 million downloads later, um, you know, it's like, I got to remind myself of that, Mm -hmm. you know, type of thing. And, and it doesn't sound like you're in a dissimilar place right now. It's like, it's like, you're not seeing the progress that maybe you thought you would see at this point or the adoption that kind of like need to see. Um, and that kind of puts you in a weird place. But if you, if you stay true to why you started this thing in the first place, back to, you know, the mission of, of free trail, um, and you let that be your guiding light and you just don't quit. I mean, it'll, it'll work out. I mean, you have to, and you have to have the faith that it'll work out too. I mean, and it's, it's not dissimilar 
you know, to, to racing, yeah. you know, especially like an ultra. I mean, I, when I, when you were reading that Rick Rubin quote, I was like, Oh yeah, it sounds just like a big long climb in an ultra, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, you know, and what do you, and what do you do? Like you're, you're facing that staircase yeah. or you're facing that big mountain. It's like, you just take it one step at a time, you know? And, and you're like, how am I ever going to get over this freaking thing? And right. it's like, you do, you know, you do, you have that faith that you're going to get there. You take it one step at a time and, and, you know, things turn around when you're like, when you least expect it yeah. you know, type of thing. Yeah. Part of me wonders if like taking a break would actually do me a lot of good right now. But- I, I mean, as someone who has found himself in a hole <laughs> a, a few times, um, that's the best thing that I've, I've done for myself yeah. is allow myself to take a, a bit of a break. Not, not just this recent one with the, the podcast, but I've done that at other times too, yeah. you know, where I'll, where I'll just, you know, kind of leave it alone for a couple of weeks at a time and, and just use that as an opportunity to like get myself straight, mm-hmm. you know, and just get my mind and, you know, in a good place. Cause when you're in it, you know, you're in it. Um, and it's, it's hard to see your blind spots, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's hard to really, I think, um, think bigger picture when, you know, you're just dealing with the day-to-day stuff, like you're caught up in the inertia of it. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm not only speaking from my own experience, I mean, like you, I, I, I read a lot of, you know, books. I listen to a lot of interviews with other creative people and it's like, this is a common thread, you know, between all of it. And, and like more often than not, um, you know, it's, it's when that person allows himself to like take a break and, and step back that they can actually see things, you know, more clearly. Yeah. The Fruit Row Podcast is brought to you by the Gnarly Nutrition Baseline Series. You may be wondering, is iron supplementation for you? Iron is essential for oxygen transportation in your body. Endurance athletes, women, and plant-based athletes are particularly vulnerable to iron deficiencies. And Gnarly Nutrition makes hitting your baseline iron needs easy with the Gnarly Baseline Iron Plus. More than your typical iron supplement, Gnarly's Iron Plus has blood-boosting nutrients like vitamin B12, folate, and vitamin C for improved iron absorption. Similarly, vitamin D is known for its role in bone health, immune and muscle function, and inflammatory response. But lifestyle factors like decreased sunlight in winter months make vitamin D deficiency a worldwide issue, something I recently learned. Gnarly Baseline D D3 is a natural plant-based vitamin, a simple vegan-friendly product that will ensure you're training on a solid foundation. To check out the Iron Plus and the Gnarly Vitamin D3, visit gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. So let's talk about this ride out strong thing mm-hmm. that you're up to now, talking transitioning more towards your coaching, coaching. career. Yep. Maybe before we get to that, I don't know if you've ever spoken at length about the whole Ekaden experience, mm. but now it's just popping into my head of you saying like, you know, it's, you, you prefer to work independently yeah. and that was a startup experience that ultimately wound down, shut down. Yep. Maybe before we get to ride out strong, are there any takeaways from that? Maybe fill the audience in about what I'm talking about and any takeaways professionally that have yeah, up. I'll try to condense it. I back in 2016, I left my job as senior editor at competitor where I've been for six years to join a startup in the Bay Area called Ekaden. And it was designed to be a an online coaching um platform. And the idea was a coach for every athlete to really make um coaching more affordable for more runners and to give coaches the tools to 
um, you know, I guess transmit training to, you know, to, to more athletes and, um, communicate more effectively, et cetera. Um, long story short, it, it failed in a matter of months. Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, every startup is, is a risk, you know, as you know, and, and, you know, that was a tough thing to go through, but ultimately that's what led to me devoting more of my working time to the morning shakeout and like actually having it like provide some revenue for me um, because my back was against the wall. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I had, uh, I'd gotten notice from Ekaden that I had two paychecks left, um, before they weren't going to be able to pay me again. And I, I needed the income. We needed the income. And Christine said, you've always wanted to hustle and work for yourself. Cause I had said that I've always wanted to like my, my dream and I'm living it right now is to work for myself as a coach and a writer. This is, this is like pre podcast. Um, and she's like, this is your chance to hustle. She's like, you got a month to figure it out. Um, and that's, that's when I started thinking about how do I want to spend my time? And I wanted to spend my working time coaching athletes and writing the newsletter. And I had to find a way to monetize a newsletter. Um, and I was fortunate that I was able to to do that and grow it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was just a a failed experiment. Um, it, it shut down and, you know, a matter of months, uh, we didn't have a, a ton of capital or runway and what capital we did have. Um, I don't think was spent in the best way. Let's yeah. put it that way. Okay. Um, so, you know, fast forward, um, six years, I guess, to, to last year, um, one of my athletes, his name's Ken Rideout, and he's been a, a two-time guest on my yeah. podcast. Just go listen to those episodes. If you have no idea what I'm, I'm talking about and, and, um, Ken's Ken's an interesting guy. Uh, he was profiled once and was called the most interesting man in the world. And I don't think that's, that's very far off. Um, but he's also a phenomenal runner. He's 51 years old. Now he's one of the top 50 plus year old marathoners, um, in the world. He was second, uh, at the world championships in his age group last year. Uh, he's won his age group at Boston at New York, um, to run sub two thirty for the marathon at 50 years old and just an incredible life story. He was on rich roll just a few months ago, um, telling his, his story and, and he has a remarkable story. I mean, he, you know, he's from Massachusetts, grew up, um, in a tough section of Somerville, you know, broken home. Um, but went to college, you know, made a, made a life for himself, you know, wanted to get out of there. Um, you know, eventually ran into some addiction issues, which he was able to overcome found endurance sports. And it's, you know, completely, you know, changed his life. Um, and as, as Ken's story, uh, well, as Ken has experienced success in his, in running and his story has gotten out, uh, his following has, has grown like quite a bit and, you know, people find him. Uh, inspiring and motivating. And um, last year he had a lot of people just like reaching out to him via social media and other means saying like, you know, Hey, like you inspire me to get out every day. Like his thing, like Ken's like the run is a non-negotiable, you know, aside from his competitive ambitions, he's, you know, he talks about how it, you know, as it does for a lot of us, just, um, you know, helps keep him Keep, helps keep him stable, yeah. you know, and is good for his mental health as much as his physical. I'm health. three weeks into implementing this philosophy into my own life. The yeah, is non-negotiable. Yeah, it's an it's a non-negotiable, <laughs> and, and like Ken's that way. I mean, I mean, he's hardcore. You know, he's like, you know, the run. He he says it, and he's and he doesn't apologize for it. He's like, it's the most important part of my day. He's like, because if I don't get that in, he's like, 
he's like, everything suffers. He's like, my family suffers because uh, I'm just not as good of a husband and a dad as I can be. He's like, my work suffers. Um, he's like, but if I, you know, if I take care of myself, like my physical and mental health, first thing, that's what he does most days. He runs first thing in the morning. He's like, it's better for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, I'm just the best version of myself. And, you know, he's, uh, I, I would not say, you know, uh, Apologies, Ken. Like he's not the most social media savvy person in the world, but he but he uses those platforms effectively. He's just very raw, yeah. um, you know. And and people appreciate his no bullshit approach. So last year he had a bunch of people, um, you know, seen his like certainly seen his running success, but just are attracted to his like discipline and, and dedication and no BS approach. And like Ken, will you, you know, will you coach me for, you know, for for a marathon or? running rate, whatever. I don't, I don't know exactly what people yeah. are coming, but a lot of people are coming to him asking for coaching. Ken's like, no, I'm not a coach. Like I, I, I am not a coach. Um, but he was getting a lot of interest and, you know, eventually, um, he got to the point where he, he reached out to me and another, um, friend of his Todd Anderson who played football at Michigan state, a certified strength and conditioning coach. And he was like, Hey, what if, what if we, Ken's a, Ken's a great idea guy. He's like, he's like, what if we had a training program? Um, he's like, and you know, we'd be the three coaches, meaning, meaning him, me and Todd, um, Mario would take care of the running side of things. Todd would do the strength and conditioning. And he's like, I'll, you know, I'll be the, the motivator kind of type of thing. He's like, what if we, what if we did that this fall? He's like, I've already had a bunch of people reach out. Um, but I have nothing to offer them. Uh, and he's like, and then we could even like advertise it and, uh, and see if there's any traction there. I was like, He's like, it'll be 12 weeks. I was like, sure, I'll give it a try. Um, so, you know, Ken reached out to the people who reached back out to the people who had inquired about coaching and said, Hey, we're going to do a 12 week program this fall. Uh, Mario's going to write Mario. My coach is going to write the running program. Uh, Todd's going to do strength and conditioning. You know, I, I will be, you know, kind of, I, I will be there for you, whatever you need. Um, it's going to be super high touch. We're going to have 10 people. Um, Mario will personalize your, your running training. Todd will do the same for strength and conditioning. We'll have team calls every week. We'll have speakers. Um, we'll get you, uh, some gear through, through his sponsorship relationships. Um, you know, we'll have, we'll have office hours, that sort of thing. And I mean, it, it was like filled like that. Really? Um, and it was a, it was a cool experience. I mean, and it was a pretty, even though it was though it was, the, the community element probably. Yeah. Like, it yeah. was like, it felt like a team, yeah. you know, it definitely felt like a, a team and, you know, we had the weekly calls, people got to know each other, people start following each other on Strava, um, you know, congratulating one another when they had a, a good result. It was, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Um, and, and it was different than the one-on-one coaching that I do because of this like kind of team element to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just a lot of the other things involved and, and we all enjoyed it. and. I was like, I think this, I think this could be something like, I think we could, you know, we could, we can't scale what we did this fall. It just is so hyper-personalized, but if we like, you know, dial back the, the personalization a bit, um, we could offer this to, you know, more people, we could put it at a more affordable price point. Mm. Um, but we can build, we can build a team, you know, and, and have a community and make each other better. So we started putting the pieces in place for that after we wrapped up the fall program last year. So, so starting in November and, um, you know, formed, you know, formed, uh, formed a business, like actually made it a legit 
business um, started putting a plan together of how we were going to do this. Um, Look at you, not independent. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, it's it's not independent, but I mean, you I have a very defined role. I coach. A, that's yeah. it. I mean, yeah. my role is to coach. That's it. Um, you know, I don't talk about. More I don't do. I, I don't do any of the other stuff. So it's like that's, and I was very clear about that. I'm like, I'm. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the coach. Like I will write the programs. Um, I will tweak the programs. I will be available like for office hours to answer the coaching questions, but like, I'm not, you know, I'm not like a behind the scenes guy, like sort of building things. Like I didn't have any interest in that. So we have like between, you know, the four of us who are involved, like we have very like defined Defined roles and my, and my role is like, I'm the running coach. It's four 30. Can we keep going for a little bit or yeah, we can go like 15, 20, 15, 20. Okay. So you mentioned something earlier that's still in the back of my head about how coaching not only takes up time, but it takes a lot of emotional energy. Mm-hmm. You want to expand on the emotional commitment of coaching or maybe provide examples of when it's been especially strong in either direction, euphoria or pain? Yeah. I mean, the best way to distill it down is is I have, you know, at, at any given time, you know, 20 to 25 very intimate relationships with people who are trying to chase big goals and anyone listening to this, who's committed to a, a big goal, you know, who, who's an athlete knows what that journey is like, and it's anything but smooth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I really look at, at coaching as a relationship more than anything else. And that's one of the things I pride myself on is just the relationship that I build with an athlete. So, you know, a keyword there is, is build like that takes time, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen. I mean, some people I know better than others when I start coaching them. Um, so it's maybe a little bit expedited in, in that way, but it takes time to get to know someone, um, to understand the role that this pursuit of, of running plays in their life. Um, you know, how that relationship has evolved, you know, over the years, what it is that they want to, that, that they want to get out of it, how they respond when things go well, when things don't go well, um, when they're injured, um, you know, when something, unforeseen pops up and like throws it off. I mean, that's a, at least the way that I coach, um, it's very intensive in, in that way. Um, it's a lot of, you know, checking in really. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like every day, you know, like, I don't want to come up. I'm, I'm not a helicopter coach by any means, but it's like every day you're checking in to be like, all right, how are things going? Because if I can do that, you know, we can usually mitigate a lot of the bigger issues before, you know, yeah. they snowball and become a, you know, a major problem, but that's a lot of communication. It's a lot mm-hmm. of checking in it's, and it's, you know, it's like, Hey, how are things going? Which is a loaded question. Yeah. You know, it could be like, yeah, things are fine. It's great. All right. We move on. It could be like, well, my dog died yesterday and like this, that, and the other. And it's like, and, and one thing I've noticed with coaching over the last few years, like basically since the beginning of the, you know, the pandemic, I think, um, you know, in addition to the guidance that I provide in, you know, writing someone's training and helping them along that part of, of the journey, I've definitely become more of a confidant, I think for, for a lot of people, I think a lot of, and this isn't just runners, but I work with runners, but, um, you know, a lot of runners sometimes just need someone to talk to, you know, um, someone to listen. And, um, that's part of my, you know, that's part of my job. And I definitely draw a line there because I'm not a therapist. Sure. Right. And and I'm very clear about that with my athletes, but, you know, also understanding like what's going on in their life, um, that's affecting them as a, as a human being, like helps me to understand how that's affecting their ability to, you know, train for the race yeah. that they're, you know, that they're aiming for. Um, and that's a lot. I mean, it's a, 
you know, it's a, it's a heavy burden a lot of days. Um, and there are just days where like my emotional battery is just drained. And I don't say that as, as a blame to anyone that I, I work with. That's just the job that's coaching, yeah. you know, that's, that's coaching. That's good coaching at any level. It makes you um, wonder what like a real therapist deals with. Yeah. I mean, it's, too. it, I feel like it'd be super heavy. Did you um, watch the Stutz documentary on Netflix? No. Interesting. Check it out. You would enjoy Stutz? it. Yeah. Okay. It's about, um, Jonah Hill is his name, the actor. Mm -hmm. It's a expose or just basically a tribute to his personal therapist mm -hmm. that's articulated through a series of interviews. Mm -hmm. It's very good. Cool. Check Keep going. Out. I feel like I interrupted you. Yeah. Um, I don't know where I, I left off, but I mean, you know, it, it does, it does drain the battery. That's where you were. Um, you know, it drains the emotional battery and I need to, I need to watch out for myself on that too. You know, because um, if I if I don't, it's just gonna weigh heavy on me, and and it does sometimes weigh heavy on me. But I got to make sure that like I also make the time for myself to like just separate and like decompress yeah. and like you know not be like all it like not all in, but like you know not uber involved all the time. This is what I'm what I'm trying to get at. But that affects that that affects yeah. everything else, right? It's like you can't compartmentalize these yeah. things, right? So it's it's like that's a it's a major part of my life. Yeah. I mean, that's how I spend most of my days and like a lot of my weekends too, you know. And I mean, um, at, you know, this as an athlete, like races happen on the weekends. Some of them go really well, some of them don't go well. And yeah. like part of your job as as a coach, at least the way that I view my role, is like I want to be there to celebrate the highs, but it's like I'm yeah. also going to be there, you know, when there's the lows. And it's like when the way that the way that I operate when people have races on a weekend more often than not, I'm not waiting until like Monday or Tuesday to catch up with them. Like, you know, via text. I mean, we'll try to touch base afterward and talk if we can. And sometimes those are very excited conversations and we celebrate together. And, and sometimes you just got to pick someone up. Right. Yeah. And, and that can, you know, it's the worst feeling in the world when someone that you're, you're working with doesn't achieve what it is that they set out to do. Yeah. Right. And, and it's like in the, in the grand scheme of things, you know, is having a, is having a bad race terrible. I, I mean, no, you know, no, no one died. Hopefully no one got hurt, anything yeah. like that, but it's like, you put so much into something and it, it doesn't happen. It, 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 hit, it hits heavy, yeah. you know? And, and it's like, you, you carry that, you know, with them. And it's like, sometimes that'll sit with me for like the rest of the day, yeah. you know, and, and that affects other, you know, that can affect other areas of my life. And sure. I think that's, I think that's what I mean, or what I meant earlier talking about it in relation to, you know, to the podcast, because I'm having so many conversations throughout the week, um, whether it's actual conversations or it's like text-based conversations. Um, there's a lot of, you know, emotional energy that goes into that. There's a lot of just like thinking through problem solving that goes into that. And sometimes, you know, there's I would schedule, yeah, I, there's not a lot left. Exactly. Yeah. I, and I would schedule like a podcast interview and I'd be like, man, I'm just, what are we going to talk I'm, about? Well, I'm not here. And it's like, because I'm still thinking about, you know, what my, what my athlete told me earlier in the day, or I'm like, I'm drained from that. And it's like, I can't, you know, like my tank's just low, yeah. you know? And it's, it's like, I think to do both of those things well, like you have to have a pretty full tank. And like, I view, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of how I'm spending my working time, what I'm doing, like the coaching, the newsletter and the podcast. I mean, the newsletter, I basically have a day of the week when I work on that. Yeah. It's, it's Mondays and it's been like that for seven and a half years and it fits pretty well. Um, and like, I, I can compartmentalize that yeah. in, in a way, but like with the podcast and with the newsletter or, or sorry, with the podcast and with coaching, 
it's like, I, I have a harder time, like kind of separating those things because like the coaching is my primary role. And that's like, you know, in terms of like just pure time and hours, it's way more than like the podcasting. But then when I sit down to have an hour or two conversation with someone and I need to be fully present and I need to listen to every word and I need to be able to think on my toes, um, you know, how I'm going to respond to that. Like I notice, like, I'm like, Oh, I'm just not, I'm not quite as sharp as I was. I'm just drained. So I'm trying to, I'm what I'm trying to do right now, like early February, 2023 is figure out like, all right, how can, how can I like shift things so that, you know, I do have the appropriate amount of like energy to devote to both. As somebody who's never been coached by you, knowing you, you're an incredibly empathetic person. I think people Mm. would agree. I also think most people who know you would say one of the first ways they would describe you as someone with like a very strong moral compass, mm-hmm. an ethical disposition. Where does that come from? Just the way I was raised, man. Um, you know, my parents taught me from a young age to respect everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, that was just like something that was drilled into our head from, you know, from the time that I was a young kid. Um, so there's that. I mean, I, for the longest time, I thought I was going to be a guidance counselor. And I think some of that has spilled over to what I do as a, as a coach. Um, I remember being in junior high school and just being the guy who would listen to my friends when they were dealing with something, break up or, you know, fight with their parents or they didn't get what they, they wanted. And I didn't try to like counsel them necessarily. I would just listen, Yeah, you know, I, and, and that is, you know, if, if that's a skill that I have, that's something I, I started developing like pretty early on without really knowing that it was a skill that I was developed. I've always just been, isn't that interesting willing to listen, ending up as somebody who's interviewed people for a living and now yeah. coaches. Yeah. I, it, it's, it's interesting. And even the, the writings, I mean, we don't have the time to go through it right now, but it's, it's like looking back in the rear rear view, you can really like kind of connect dots. I mean, even the writing side of things, I, I still remember, um, you know, in second grade, like one of our class projects was writing a book and, and like that whole process, the whole thing was just a thrill for me. Um, and it's like, Every putting, other kid is well, but but hitting, but hitting, you know, hitting publish on my newsletter every week, or when I put out a magazine every week, or a newsletter, or a newspaper. Like, I mean, that's a bit of a like. I got that same high in second grade when I put it. I put together the Adventures of Batman type of thing. So it's like, but I never would have knew at the time like where that led. But same thing with like you know listening, just like listening yeah. to my friends. You know, I was just trying to be a good friend. Um, they clearly, you know, had had something that they just wanted to get out yeah. right, and and it's like. I, I wasn't um, in a position to like help them solve their problem necessarily, but I could listen. Right. And mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people just need someone to to listen to them. They don't necessarily yeah. need someone to solve their problems. I think a lot of, a lot of us, um, especially as we get older, younger, like you just bottle up a lot inside, you got to let it Probably. out. And like, you know, I noticed that as a, as a kid, like, you know, I could be that for my friends. Um, and I do a lot of that as an interviewer. Um, that's one of the things I try to pride myself on is, is just listening and just getting out of the way of, of what my guest is trying to say, but same thing coaching. I mean, Hmm. you know, I try to do a lot more listening than I do talking, Hmm. Um, you know, and, and I interviewed people for competitor. I mean, I was freelancing before that. So, I mean, you know, a lot of those, 
like skills that whether I knew I was developing them or not, or knew there were going to be skills that would benefit me later in life or not. I mean, those seeds were planted like super duper early, but I mean, you know, in terms of like a moral compass that definitely comes from my parents and just like where, you know, where they grew up. My dad was an immigrant to this country. um, Didn't speak any English when he came here um, was not treated very well. You know, my, my mom grew up in a rough part of the city of Worcester, um, you know, and they gave the four of us kids like a very good life. And, you know, my, my dad, you know, really wanted to make sure we had, you know, the opportunity to like go to college and do like things that we wanted to do. But like, we spent our, we spent our, our summers and after school, like, you know, in the inner city where we were the minority. And I remember like my, my parents telling us, um, when we were kids, they're like, you know, I don't care what color their skin is, what church they go to, what school they go to. You do not disrespect people. Wow. Um, you know, you treat everyone the same. You know, and and if you do that, like they're going to respect you back, um, or more often than not, they're going to respect you back. And that was just something that was, you know, drilled into me from like a very, you know, very early age. But I, I don't even say like drilled into me. It was just like that was just that was just how we were, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just like that's how I've kind of always gone through life. And I've I've just been fortunate. Like one, I had great parents, but two, I've just you know throughout my life have had wonderful you know, coaches and friends and and mentors and role models who I've looked up to. And, you know, and I think one of the, the through lines with all of them is they were just very upstanding people that I wanted to try and, and yeah. emulate. So winding down here, if I were to ask you, who's one person you really admire inside of sport or outside? Who's the first name that comes to mind? Does this person have to be alive today no okay my grandfather stefano fraioli and for what reason i mean he he was the first person that i ever tried to model myself after i just i think a lot of kids have special relationships with their grandparents um i have a tattoo for him on my right arm but from the time that i i could remember i mean i just want to spend every minute that i could with him when I was a kid. Um, I mean, I've literally spent like weeks on end at my, my grandparents' house and, um, I wanted to be like him when I grew up. I still want to be like him when I, when I grow up. Um, and he just had this presence about him that really kind of intoxicated me. Um, but he was a man of very few words. Um, he was a hard worker, you know, he brought his family here to the U S to give them a better opportunity. Um, I didn't know a lot of this as as a kid. I, I learned from stories uh, or through stories from my dad, like later in life. But you know, he just he was just a workaholic, um, and it wasn't, you know, and it was it was a workaholic because he had to be. Mm-hmm. You know, he had to provide for his family. It was like working three or four jobs, you know, at a time because that's what that's what they had to do. You know, and he hustled, and I think I definitely inherited um, that trait. But he was also just someone who I, I noticed even as a a kid before I even really knew what this was. I'm like, you know, they called him Steve, you know, in the neighborhood, but everyone respected him, you know, cause he respected everybody else. Um, and people could see how hard he worked and just how kind he was. Um, and how he was just like, you know, always willing to help someone like, you know, move rocks in their yard or, you know, whatever, whatever it would happen to be. And I was just like, this is the, like, this is who I want to be. Like, yeah. this is what I want to be like. Um, you know, he passed away my freshman year of college. Um, the 2000, 2001. And, um, you know, I, I miss him to this day, Wow, you know, I'm, I miss him so much to this day, but I try 
to to emulate him as as best I can, um, just in the way that I live my life. Yeah. Um, so he's yeah, I mean, it's my number one role model. The spirit of Steve lives in his grandson. Yeah, Stefano Fraioli. I mean, Last question, yeah. Mario. I know I'm screwing up your whole evening. That's it's quite I'm right. experimenting with a closing question to add a little fun through line through all the amazing guests who yeah. came on the show. Go for it. What is one semi-profound truth you've learned about yourself or about life through your participation in this great sport of running? You can keep going. I mean, I think it's as it's as simple and as hard as that because you hit those moments when all you want to do is is stop. And you've got to convince yourself to just take the next step. Yeah. Um, and that's it. It's just like take the next step and then do it again and then do it again. Um, and that's happened to me, you know, so many times. And I've thought back, um, you know, even time when I wasn't running, but I've thought back to those moments, like, you know, when I was running and I, I wanted to stop, um, and I, I kept going and it allowed me to see what was on the other side. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that's, you know, that is held true in many other areas of my life as well. Yeah. Mario, it's great to be neighbors again. Oh, I'm stoked to have you back here on the good side of Marin, <laughs> as I said, at the top of the show. Um, yeah, it's great to have you. Yeah. Great to have you just down the road from me here. And hopefully we can share some more miles and conversations here soon. No doubt. I Thanks. got a lot of questions to ask you. So next time we're going to turn the tables and uh, I've got to grill you because I only got a couple questions in this time. <laughs> we got decades, bro. We All got right, decades. Man. Thanks for That's coming. great. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Big thank you to Mario. What a great person. I always feel inspired to be a better man after interacting with him. I'm looking forward to hanging out in person and getting some miles in a lot more now that Harmi and I are back here in Marin. Make sure you go subscribe to Mario's newsletter. I have a link to it in the show notes, the morning shakeout, the best in the industry. I also link to the Ride Out Strong coaching service that we talked about in the episode in case you're interested in that. Free Trail Pro members, please do give me some feedback. Let me know what you thought in Slack. What was your biggest takeaway? What left you inspired? Should I continue with my new closing question? Please let me know. Always appreciate hearing from you all in Slack. Big thank you to our sponsors, of course, Speedland, runspeedland.com, use CoFreeTrail10 on the GS TAM, Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com, use CoFreeTrail15 for 15% off these fantastic nutrition products. Best Day Brewing, bestdaybrewing.com, use code DRY20 for 20% off. If you need some guidance in your trail journey, check out Free Trail Experts, where we've enlisted some great coaches and specialists to help make your experience in the sport even more fun, enjoyable, and successful. There's a link to that in the show notes as well. That's it for now. Thank you all so much for listening. Love you dearly. Talk soon. Bye-bye.